Hello, Internet, and welcome to another kind of episode of the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. By we, I mean me, Matthew Derrigish. Wow, I don't know where to go with that grammatically. I am going to be doing something a little different. Uh, Kane has been particularly hard hit by the apocalypse we're all now living in. So while I don't think he's going to have a chance to jump back for a little bit, I thought I would take it upon myself to do something a little different. So what I will be doing is stepping through 2009's Web of Spider-Man all by my lonesome. I'll be going issue by issue, starting with issue one and ending at, let me pull through my pile here, make sure I have the right number. Yep. Ending on issue 12. So <laughs> let's, let's take a little moment to warm this up. If you have forgotten or if you're unfamiliar, in 2009, Spider-Man was kind of in the middle of Brand New Day, the, the big reboot post One More Day. And uh, Amazing Spider-Man was running three times a month. This web of Spider-Man was coming in to be kind of the fourth book of the month for a year. And so it, it was really initially to play into the gauntlet, so pretty deep into Brand New Day, uh, which was pretty much all new villains uh, with maybe some old soap kind of play, but you know, Peter's dating again. We were going to be getting a look at a number of villains for about the first eight issues. And then it goes a little different, becomes more of an anthology piece. But this first issue that we're going to be focusing on and very fittingly, I feel uh, Spider one of Spider-Man's most unique villains, Kane. So it's interesting. Before we dive in, um, as per fan request, and I, I should note, as, as it just popped into my head, um, a few of the issues of this run have been requested by fans throughout our time on Untold. So that is part of the impetus. But I really believe there's something about this web of Spider-Man run that really spoke to me. And I will get to that when we get to the editor's letter. That's how much we're going to the issue here. So... <laughs> Um, if you're looking to read along later, um, you can find it on Marvel Unlimited, it looks like. It looks like the whole thing's on Marvel Unlimited. I'm not sure because I don't have the app. Please feel free to yell at me if that's not the case. It looks like the issues are pretty much to a pop on Comixology. There's probably a bundle someday. Um, this first issue is not found in a trade, but issues 2 through 7 are in the complete gauntlet trade, which goes for about 20 digitally, uh, physically for about 80 on the soft cover, or about 100 on the hardback, so wouldn't recommend that. Uh, if you do just want these issues, though, they're going for about, you know, cover price, whatever your comic shop does back issues for. Not big deals. None of these are 
keys, though. Interestingly, as we go into this, that I find that kind of funny. So, let's start, um, and I'll run through the other stories briefly, but really the main event here is called Kane in Echoes, with our favorite J.M. DeMatteis writing, um, Val Semkis on pencils, who does a stellar job, by the way, Dan Green on inks, Andres Mosa on colorists, and Dave Lampler on letters. Um, I'll note, because I'm sure I'll forget later, uh, there's a Spider-Girl bit in here, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends with Sal Bishima on inks, um, Bruno Hang on colorist, and Dave Sharpie on letter. And we'll get to the Frogman story credits in a little bit, because that's the fun little closer. So, Kane and Echoes starts with Kane thinking to himself. He's in this unnamed prison, which adds to the isolation idea. Not only do we not know where this is, this isn't some vault prison or, you know, some locale. This is some unnamed place, undisclosed. Kane's been here for years and he doesn't know where it is. <laughs> um, he also knows that none of the guards have let it slip, which really just adds to this kind of isolation because basically no one's talking to him. And he, he's in his head through this entire story for the most part, which adds that weird dreamlike sequence, which is a touch on, you know, to talk uh, something kind of current right now, that New Mutants Demon Bear story has gotten a lot of play because of the movie that just came out. Uh, you know, this kind of hits that kind of note, though the art is not as crazy as Bill Sienkiewicz, but still strong. So, you know, Kane's in this meditation with himself, you know, as he's never really born, can he ever truly live? Can he ever truly die? You know, we're getting pretty metaphysical right off the gate. And in this, you know, he's thinking of it because he's a clone and how he's come to be and how he's lived. And it's a meditation on being kind of a simulacrum or an echo or something of someone in a way that I found really interesting. Normally when we're talking about being clones in sci-fi like this, whether it's even like a Superman comic, other Spider-Man comics, uh, it's happened with Wolverine, it never really hits this kind of psychological dive that I think makes that idea interesting. In fact, I was kind of revitalized in the first two pages of reading this, like, oh man, the idea of being a clone is kind of trippy, but you kind of have to slow down to let that in. Um, so that kind of caught me. And I should note, a, a big part of that is because we're at like, the oldest Cain we see, right? He's, he's a husk of a human. He has these soulless, like, monochrome but glowing eyes. He has the long hair, and his body is just wrinkled head to toe. Um, it's a far cry, not only in uh, body but in mind, of the Scarlet Spider character he'd become. And in this meditation, as he's kind of aching for some sort of release, if you will, the release of death, uh, he imagines one of these guards staring at him as Spider-Man, only for, and I'm going to call them echoes here, this echo to reveal himself as Ben Riley, who, you know, is talking to him. And I, I pull Echo because Kane says, you know, your your chemical melts my brain, you're a memory in Echo. Uh, so that's how kind of this Ben character pulls him to go on this kind of, you know, Spirits of Christmas kind of idea <laughs> through the prison. And he's talking about how he could finally find some peace, how he could let go, and how, you know, there's kind of a calm in it. It's, it's pretty benevolent, but it is also bleak. 
And in this conversation, Kane leaves the mark of Kane on a prisoner, but as a quick nerd note, and I should say, I haven't read every Spider-Man issue. I don't know um, all of it, but my understanding was that when Kane left the mark of Kane on someone, he was using the spider powers to, you know, grab onto someone and then pull as hard as he could away. Um, but here he kind of heats up his hand beforehand and then like burns the victim. So different than my memory, but maybe that's explained somewhere along the way that I missed. No big deal. It's the mark of Cain. He leaves him a prisoner, uh, which is kind of the impetus for Ben Riley in the stream sequence to be offed by the jackal really quickly. And now we're talking with the jackal. Now... <laughs> It is kind of funny looking back, there's the Green Goblin that took out Ben, and not the Jackal. The Jackal had all this kind of potential, and we never really got that from him. And in this uh, talk with the Jackal Echo, I, I get an idea of a villain that's more compelling than the Jackal we normally see. That's this crazy goon going around cloning people and conniving and whatnot. But he's talking about the strength that comes from suffering, and he's talking about how Cain is stronger because he suffered the most. And Cain retorts with this, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, I was in constant pain. My cells were degradating. That's why I am the way I am. That's why I had to wear this weird suit. Um, and I, I was falling apart at the seams, literally. And the Jackal says, but you are stronger for all that. And it's this really twisted idea of morality that I think could be a fun foil to Spider-Man's more benevolent side that would make for a more compelling villain than how I've normally seen the Jackal written. Maybe that's come to bear again, very likely if it did, it was in this era of Spider-Man that I honestly really haven't read. Um, but this bit with the Jackal kind of concludes with this flash outside of Kane's body, where we see his caretakers, I guess, looking over him with all these lab readings. And they're kind of talking about, you know, what would they do if the opportunity presented to kind of just, you know, pull the plug, flip the switch if his vitals dropped. And they all kind of admit knowing who he is, what he's done, what he's capable of. They don't really view him as a human, and they probably let him go. Again, bleak, but understandable. And then we find ourselves on this mountaintop, Utah, outside of Salt Lake City. This has no meaning to me. Uh, but we find Cain next to Louise, uh, his, his lawyer talking about how he's a monster, but they found each other and they were both monsters and they both kind of make each other stop being monsters for a little bit as they embrace in a kiss. And then another Cain drop punches both of them and then snaps Louise's neck uh, and talks about how you pretend to be loved or whatever, but you survived, you pushed through the pain, and da-da-da, and this dark side of you is the real you. And Kane has this realization of the horrible monster he's been, and he's ready to let go. Uh, he's come to an understanding with himself. And then, at the last moment, we get an echo of who else but Peter, kind of the missing ingredient in all this. Peter talks about how Ben was kind of the angel on his shoulder, and Kane was the devil on his shoulder, if you will. Which doesn't really make sense with Ben being kind of an angel of death in this story. 
but it kind of makes a sense that could have been a more fun play throughout the clone saga that we never truly got especially with ben never really being more pious than peter it seemed so um i don't know Peter admits to a lot of what's come before, talking about how, um, you know, Louise was calling him a monster. Sure, Ben saying that he could give up. The Jackal saying this was his opportunity. Um, but he says also that there's a courage in Cain to push through the way that Peter pushed through his darker moments, his failings, like when Uncle Ben died, of course. And so with that courage, the courage is to press on, the courage is to live, the courage is to make tomorrow count, to make the pain of yesterday worth something matter, kind of in a way. I'm pulling some of this kind of subtext, but I mean, it's there, you know. Um, and Peter says, you know, this courage is there because I gave it to you, and that you have the capacity to surprise people, especially yourself. And then we see this quick little... Uh, bit with Cain outside of his mind and now he's living because he wants to live and he's full of surprises and man I gotta say Cain uh, is a character that I don't have a lot of love for but after reading the story I'm so much more excited for him I know that elements of this have to be kind of a rehash kind of just playing on what was but once we're in it once we're you know through this story I I'm so much more excited about the character I have so much more insight it it's this little moment with him that makes every other story, every other moment with him and all the other stories mean that much more because we've really gotten a true kind of sum up and story with him. So that's a lot of what I'm kind of expecting more from the series and why I like these kinds of stories a lot because it adds a lot of texture and idea to really give these relatively important characters the other side of the coin if you will their time in the sun their time to shine so that we can really see them for who they are when we get glimpses of them as a villain in spider-man's story uh, but th this story does end and then we get this moment with the spectacular spider girl i have to say i've read a chunk of spider girl i like spider girl i have not read through spider girl up to this point and reading this it feels like there's three plot points coming together uh it's pretty surreal and i can tell you that them inserting this did not help anyone become really interested in spider girl i mean I, you know there's always someone right but in mass uh didn't do much for the profile of the character except for maybe awareness and <laughs> it, it did hurt the overall reception of the book um so I don't know. I, I know when I was going through some of these issues when these books were coming out, I always kind of skipped over these pages because I had no idea what was going on. I had less context then than I do now, and I still don't know what's going on, really. So someday I'll read through them. Be excited. And then we get this weird little last few pages with a frogman story so spider-man knocks out the kangaroo that's golden um frogman shows up to kind of glory hound it seems a little bit and then this new and inconsequential character but a first appearance the tadpole shows up or not i'm sorry not the tadpole uh <laughs> the tenacious tadpole it's just this little kid in the suit, but his arms are kind of locked away and he's trying to hit people with this foam tail. It's just this weird, cute story. But if you see the art, it makes sense. It's like a kid's storybook kind of thing so much. 
And what's kind of cool about the art too is that uh, this the artist is Stephanie Buscema, the granddaughter of John Buscema. So I don't know, a little, little legacy there, but it's a fun little palate cleanser. Nothing more. And then we end on our little editor's note with Steve Wacker, who's writing, who starts it off with "This is so weird," which odd. But he, he goes to talk about the legacy of Web of Spider-Man and how every decade has its own Spidey number one and Web of was his being an 80s kid. And, you know, he goes on to say like how Web of kind of never carved out its own identity, he says, um, and how the creative kind of drifted, but and it eventually landed on kind of being the other book that would fit other, you know, part twos of big events or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I, having read a chunk of Web of now, it, it was kind of the, he does say a bit in here about how it was never the stories that were going to be an amazing, but they were fun side Spider-Man stories, which are a bit more endearing. What he doesn't get to, and what I, I don't think he necessarily saw was that well this was going to be kind of the fourth week spider-man book kind of the definite b book of its day uh there was an opportunity here to do something with the web of spider-man that would be kind of maybe more akin to what they did with tangled web where they take all these side characters all the villains all the people we don't really get to delve into and it doesn't matter who creative is but we have a moment to dive into these different characters that are going to affect spider-man but not necessarily showcase spider-man in this issue a real chance to build up the world around him the web that would connect to him and i love that kind of stuff but Whereas this series ultimately does kind of do that, uh, it, it was short-lived. Uh, but, you know, we're going to have a moment, we're going to run through it and have the fun with what was there. I'm also going to note that around this time there was books like Anti-Venom going on or the Clone Saga miniseries. So even though there was those four weekly Spider-Man books, there was also the random stuff going on at the same time. <laughs> So as much as they're like the fourth week Spider-Man book, you know, there's also other stuff running too, which is probably a big reason why uh, this didn't latch on the way it did, unfortunately. Uh, I also wanted to note that I, I looked up a couple of reviews of this issue from its day, and a lot of them were pretty wanting. They didn't really get into the story at all, uh, both of them only mentioning Kane once. <laughs> But mentioning kind of the creators and how stories were forgettable and interesting with strong points, but nothing, you know, they didn't ever actually say anything that was in the issue or mention anything. So, uh, <laughs> a note of how frustrating these short form written reviews were back in the day that barely told you anything uh, about what was happening in the comic or allowed you to even inject your thought of what could be in the comic beyond whether or not the person reviewing it generally liked it or not. Hopefully I've done a bit more for you here. <laughs> uh, so I plan on continuing through this, but please let me know if you have any notes. This is very much an experiment. Despite years of doing YouTube solo, this feels very different. I'm afraid of slipping into kind of an NPR voice. 
uh, it's not conversational at all. Um, and it's a new thing, but let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you're liking this. Um, even if you just listened, and you want to hear something. I don't know. If you have any thoughts, please, uh, hit me up at either untold talks SPMN or magical Matt 42 on Twitter. We have an email. I promise. Um, you know, untold talks SPMN at Gmail or you know, we're on Facebook, Untold Talks of Spider-Man. You know, hit us up and please, you know, guys, keep pressing, keep moving. We're going to get through this apocalypse one way or another, and things are gonna be better on the other end. So keep sticking to what you're doing. Enjoy some Spider-Man and all will be well. Keep being well, guys. <laughs>